Welcome to Battleground. Today is Friday, April 23rd. And uh, what a week. What a week. Uh, Battleground Week in Review today. And we have a uh, great guest, as usual, uh, Jorge Bonilla. He's director of MRC Latino. Uh, these are the guys that audit the mainstream fake news media. So it's always fun to have Jorge on the show. He brings the heat, calls them out, uh, like very few do, actually. Um, and there's a lot to talk about, right? We see D.C. statehood, a way for Democrats to try and get two more senators on board. They want to pack the court, uh, you know, push their radical agenda. They're talking about Green New Deal. Um, we see in Latin America something that uh, the, the press hasn't really been covering. Elections down in, in Peru, um, This there there's a runoff election because there are 18 candidates. Uh, nobody got a majority, so... Uh, there's a runoff election, and right now the candidate that is leading, according to the polls, is this guy by the name of Pedro Castillo, who is a Marxist, an actual former terrorist, uh, radical Marxist, and that would be very, very bad news for that country. That would be very bad news for us here in America because we don't want uh, the rest of that region, you know, going to hell. But hey. You know, here's our next guest, um, Jorge. Welcome to the show. Uh, I gotta, I gotta kick you off with uh, with your walk on song. So I picked this one this week. Uh oh. Yeah, buddy. I feel like we ought to be at a Zumba class if you're going to start us off with that. <laughs> That's right, man. It should like be. We a, need to be doing a Zumba class or something. It should be a Zumba class. Hey, man, what a what a disaster this week, man. I mean, geez, uh, bloody, I don't even know bloody, where to go. But uh, you know, I, I don't know if you saw that there is a um, one of the jurors got interviewed and she said that uh, that she just voted to 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 convict on all charges because she was first uh, scared for her life and her family. She was worried that uh, she would lose her job uh, and that she didn't want to relive the riots of last summer. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of, you know, I don't know what to call it, man, but uh, you know, not a good thing. Not a good thing. It's look, it's, 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 they, it's, and let me, let me frame my words very carefully. Cause I used yeah. to work, I used to work in the criminal justice system. Yep. I've sat on hundreds, hundreds, if not thousands of trials ranging from everything to DUI trials no. to injunction trials to child support trials all the way to like capital crimes like child rape and murder trials and wow. stuff like that and I've seen some crazy things I've seen the worst of the worst yeah. I've seen a lot of trials and I can safely conclude based on my experience that 99.9% of the media analysis of the George Floyd trial was hot garbage yeah. If if you know when you have so-called journalists trying to actively rooting for an outcome, yeah. And and actively questioning like, oh my god, I can't believe the defense attorney would say this or would say that. That is their job. The defendant in any trial has a presumption of innocence, and it is the state's burden to prove guilt. Beyond a reasonable doubt. That is the bar. Yep. That is the standard. And every defendant, every criminal defendant in the United States is entitled to that presumption of innocence and is entitled 
to have a trial, a public trial, with a jury composed of their peers, where evidence is is uh, presented and admitted once it is found to be admissible, up until and up until such a point as that presumption of innocence is overcome and guilt is proven beyond a reasonable doubt. That is the standard, and that standard does not change That's because right. of who the defendant is or because of who the victim is. That standard does not change. Well, that's why this is the greatest country in the history of the world, right? Because exactly that. You see in other countries where you're guilty and you got to prove yourself innocent, right? That's right. That's right. So that's what makes a difference. Right. So even with the George Floyd trial, you know, even, even, and you can, you can look at the evidence and interpret the evidence any way you want, but it's, it's still, that process had to happen. The prosecution still had to put forth the case, still had to present evidence, still had to, to, to go before jurors and prove Chauvin's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, I'm not going to I'm not going to second guess the jury. I wasn't in the courtroom. I didn't see the evidence, the totality of the evidence at trial. Um, but you know what? The system works. The jury weighed the evidence and saw the evidence. There were even journalists that were that were complaining um, about the fact that the defense counsel reminded them of of what reasonable doubt is and about weighing the evidence. I heard all that. instructions. I heard yeah. that. that was crazy. Now, now these are all instructions. If if for those of you who've never worked in a criminal trial, the judge before uh, before going into uh, into deliberations, the judge reads the jury these instructions, and they tell them about weighing the evidence. They tell them about. A reasonable doubt, what reasonable doubt is, how it is not um, an inferred doubt, a forced doubt, a coerced doubt, but it, it is a reasonable doubt as to the guilt of the defendant based on the evidence that was presented. And there's a whole set of instructions that the judge has to read to the jury with regard to that. Yeah. And and you had journalists going off because a defense uh, uh, attorney at closing said, hey, in a few minutes... The judge is going to read to you some instructions. He's going to talk to you about reasonable doubt. This is, well, let me give you a preview. This is what reasonable doubt is. Now, Ivan, I've, I've sat, like I said, I've sat in hundreds of trials. Yeah. I've seen tons of closings. And I will tell you this. If a defense attorney had not gone into reasonable doubt at closing arguments, that would be considered criminal malpractice. Okay? You always, if you're a defense attorney, you always go into into what is reasonable doubt, what is weighing the evidence. You just that's part of the process. That's part of your closing arguments, especially if in a state like Minnesota, it's similar to Florida in that for closing arguments, the prosecution is entitled to what is called a sandwich argument, meaning the prosecution gives an opening statement saying, hey, this is why we think that the defendant is guilty. Then the defense comes in and gives their entire closing argument. And then the prosecution comes back and rebuts the defense and said, hey, defense attorney said this, but this is why he's guilty. And the prosecution has the first and the last word. So it is entirely appropriate for the defense. And I didn't mean to, 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 to go off on this tangent, but it's entirely appropriate for the defense to, to give that explanation and build that into their argument. And, and you know, for journalists to try and gaslight the meet the public by saying, oh my God, I can't believe he said this. I can't believe he said to weigh the evidence. I can't, how dare he say 
what reasonable doubt is. That just shows you the extent to which the media has gone off the cliff and, and has totally become activists and partisan and biased. And, and that's exactly what they are. And, and you know, the, the other thing, I mean, the judge came out and said, you know, uh, that, that what Bob, Bob Barber Boxer was doing was, was uh, not Boxer, uh, Maxine Waters. Waters. Yeah. yeah. I always confuse the, uh, the, the, the two idiots. Um, but, you know, Ma Maxine Waters was out there protesting and screaming and calling for more violence. So was Kamala Harris. Nancy Pelosi said she didn't she didn't have a problem with it. We have Joe Biden out there saying that, you know, he hopes that it is a right, you know, decision or outcome. And, you know, everybody publicly leaning on the jury. Um, hey, you know, I, I I wasn't in the trial. I didn't uh, I didn't listen to all the evidence either. I saw that video. That was pretty damaging. Uh, that, that was a brutal video uh, watching the whole nine minutes of it. Um, I thought when they put that video up, I said, man, this guy's done, you know, but you know, in a trial, there's evidence, right. And you gotta, and you gotta prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, like you said. So, yeah. but, but I think that everybody weighing in that hard and especially, you know, the president, vice president of the United States and political leader, speaker of the house, all the members of the media, um, can't really make it for a fair trial. And I think, you know, the judge mentioned that and he said, you know, this is going to go to an appeal. And that's probably exactly where it goes, you know. But uh, yeah, but the media is um, disgusting, man. Yeah, they're disgusting. But yeah, like you said, and and every and when you, especially when you have a high profile trial like this, um, and this is true for any defendant. But yes, there are a certain uh, set of motions that go into place after a verdict, and after. And by the way, we're not done with this. We're not done with this, Ivan, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. yeah. Because we have the verdict. But after the verdict, the judge orders a pre-sentencing investigation. So you have about four to six weeks where they investigate the defendant. They go into his, family, his history, his personal history. Was he beaten as a child? Was he abused as a child? What was his family history like? What's his marital history, his employment history? They, they will turn his life upside down, present to see whether there's any mitigating or aggravating circumstances um, when it comes to sentencing to see whether he had a criminal background. And that is going to factor in. There's a point system based on these things. And that score is, is the final product of that pre-sentencing investigation is his sentencing score. Based on that sentencing score is how, according to guidelines, the judge will, will sentence Derek Chauvin. Now, they, he's got the discretion. He can go top of, you know, he could go, he can max out on every count. Yeah. And the judge has the discretion of either following the guidelines or doing, you know, or doing his own thing. Um, but, but, you know, I, I have found that a lot of people, they, they, they were sort of, depending on the case, they either follow the guidelines or went in between. Um, so we won't know what the judge will do, but you already have people trying to weigh in. Yeah. And suggesting that the judge should not follow guidelines uh, and should not follow the PSI, but immediately sentence Chauvin to the max on every count. And not only should it be a max sentence on every count, but it should be a, uh, a consecutive sentence, right. meaning um, that if you got sentenced for a five year offense and a 10 year offense and a 25 year offense, that total adds up. If you were to add it up, it would be total. If you were sentenced uh, consecutively, 
that total would add up to 40 years. Right. Now, the judge has the discretion of saying you're going to serve those consecutively. Right. The five and the 10 and the 25, do them all together, and you do the 25, but you serve all three sentences. Yeah. That's what's called a consecutive se- uh, a concurrent sentence. Right. People are already saying, no, a judge ought to throw the book at him and yep. sentence him to, to the top count, and he should die in prison. And there's already pressure based on that. And there's already pressure uh, to see a a top count. That's why you have people talking about accountability. We have justice, but now do we get accountability? Right. So this continues. And this This toxic cycle continues. Yeah. And the media's feeding it. And the media's totally feeding it. And, and And that's what they're doing. I mean, they are causing, and they have been the cause. This whole crap about Trump has divided the nation is total garbage. The people that have divided this country have been the media, and it all started with Barack Obama in 2008. If you didn't support Obama, you didn't vote for Obama, you were a racist. You were a racist, and it was time to make history. It was time to elect a black man, and if you didn't vote for the black man, you were a racist. And that's where they started. It worked for them. And it worked for him on re-election after having a dismal and one of the worst first, you know, administrations in the history of any any president. And he got re-elected, you know, because of that crap. And, uh, you know, and 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 when you look at him, you know, he, he's probably going to be considered one of the most lackluster presidents in the history of this country. The, right. whole, the whole world went to hell. His foreign policy was a disaster. His domestic policy was a disaster. He spent more years worried about bathrooms than, you know, than, than the American worker and the American family. And the media praised that, you know, so they lost a lot of credibility and they continued pushing the whole race card, you know, after that, because they thought it was a winning, it was a winning, you know, formula. And, um, and, and, you know, realistically Trump kind of broke that. And, um, and instead of dialing it back, you know, you saw them just amp it up, right? And the four years of Donald Trump were absolute chaos. Um, oh, remember, it was the media was building up. The media was building up toward a coronation of of Hillary Clinton. Clinton. Yep. And then when that didn't happen, the media went full, 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 full adversarial. Um, and at the MRC, we just put out a study, my my colleague Rich Noise, that that showed how Trump coverage was ninety six percent negative. Wow. For a certain period of time. Yeah. Over that same period of time, Biden's coverage has been 59% positive. So that helps frame things and shape things. And it shows you the hand that the media had uh, even in, in dividing our country. And they and, and continue to divide it now, right? Because they keep on pushing the same stuff. Everything is about racism for them. Everything is about race. Nothing cannot be non-racial. Everything is either about gender or about race or about something. Um, it, it, it's just bizarre, man. I just don't get it. Um, how? I mean, when does it end? When does it end? I mean, do they just collapse? Uh, do they just cease to be media and uh, and, and 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 are forced to uh, register as super PACs? I mean, what happens here? Well. The, the, the only historical parallel I can see to that is Venezuela, yeah, yeah. where the media, in a sense, built Hugo Chavez up. 
and propped him up and and sort of enabled his rise to power. And then when when he showed his true face, they turned on him. But by then it was too late because he already had power. And that's when he went after them. Yeah. And began to seize them and seize media outlets and take TV stations and imprison people and confiscate. And, um, you know, you see the videos of him walking down, up and down the streets of Caracas, and and doing that that deal right there, uh, telling people to seize assets. So, unfortunately, that's where, that's the, the trend line. I certainly don't expect that we'll end up at that point here in the U.S., but that's certainly the trend and that's certainly the precedent if if there is one yeah it, it, it's bizarre man but uh you know we had, we had uh ron, ron aledo uh on 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 la politica on our spanish show uh, right. uh the other day and he talked a little bit about this he said uh he called them uh tontos útiles right um like useful, yeah, the useful idiots yeah. yeah the useful idiots but i i don't know if the media really are useful idiots i i think they're in cahoots man I think ideologically they are aligned with the left. I think, uh, you know, I don't think they want to live in Venezuela, but I think they they actually take communion with socialism, don't they? Look, you you have a lot of smart people. You have a lot of smart people that are that are making editorial decisions and and printing things and trying to cast information in a certain light, and and at some point. You just look at it and say, look, it's woeful. It's intentional. I'll give you an example. The Washington Post today put out a piece on Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. Now, they they hadn't done this previously. Tim Scott's been in Congress for how long? Yep. Right? At least 10 years. Yeah, Since yeah, when, yeah. When, you know, when Mark Sanford left and ran for governor, yep. it was Tim Scott that ran in that seat and won. Yep. So we're talking at least 10 years. Yep. Tim Scott's been in Congress. He never ran on this piece. He's been talking his whole life about his humble origins, his grandfather, and and you know as, as a farmer and, and all these things. It never bothered with Tim Scott, right? No sooner they announce that Tim Scott is going to give the rebuttal to Joe Biden's address to the nation next week, yep. then lo and behold, Ivan, what do you think happens? The Washington Post decides to go dig into his life yep. and to go dig into his ancestry. And to somehow suggest that Tim Scott wasn't authentic, because look at what these records say. His grandfather owned land. His grandfather did this, did that. But then you look about however many paragraphs in the story. In the next to last paragraph, it says, we cannot determine whether or not what we're saying, basically, what we're saying is true. Because there's no way to determine whether the fact that, that Tim Scott's grandfather had 900 acres of land meant that he was rich because of, you know, the fact is it's some farmer struggle. So they had no way of verifying that. But they just threw that out there yeah, and, in and, order to smear Tim Scott ahead of his rebuttal speech. Yeah, and on Twitter, there, there have been some other people that said, yeah, that story of uh, from cotton picker to uh, to U.S. senator in one generation is total bullshit, and they're right. just on that on on that Wapo it piece, right? Um, but but you know it's pretty sad, and 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 the other thing is that you know now that he's really taking a front and center position on this whole police reform, he's got a bill on the, on on the floor as well that he's trying to trying to push to uh, to really clean this up. 
They passed it last year, but the Democrats filibustered it. That's because right. They didn't like they didn't like the black guy that was proposing the bill. That's right. That's right. It's as simple as that. And that's all it is, right? I mean, the Democrats are racist, and we know that. And, you know, it, it, it's absolutely bizarre. You know, hey, uh, Jorge, Latin America, we saw the Peru thing. Um, that That's, you know, that's crazy. Uh, knowing that you have Venezuela, that you have Cuba, that you have uh, Bolivia, Nicaragua, that a country like Peru is going to go uh, is going to go communist. That's that's just insane. Is is Peru really? I'm 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 struggling with the idea. Oh, right. That Peru is really going to elect a guy who was with the Shining Path. <laughs> Man, all a the real people. a real legit senderista. Peru's yeah. really going to elect Man. a guy from the Shining Path. It uh, I I would have never believed that would have happened. Um, but the polls that came out yesterday show him at fifty-two percent majority. He's won. He's you know, uh, you know, the elections aren't for another you know five weeks, so a lot of things had happened. But he keeps on trending up and up and up. Um, there's this professor, um, out in uh, Harvard, out, out of all places, you know, uh, Stephen Le- Le- Levitsky. Uh, what can I tell you? anti-Trumper, radical liberal. Of course, he's going to be at Harvard. And he uh, focuses on Latin American political studies. Apparently, you know, liberals and think tanks think he's a guru. So he came out on an interview in in Peru yesterday that I saw online. And he was saying that Fujimori was a bigger threat to democracy than this communist ex-Shining Path terrorist. Um, How is that guy at Harvard? How is that guy teaching our kids? That guy should be thrown out. Um, what in the hell is going on? Just like the media, brother, uh, academia has is rotten to the core and it has been taken over by the Marxists. I'm telling you. You, you know, part of part of what, what has happened with the pandemic is that it has exposed the rot within our educational system. And we talk a lot about, you know, we, we've talked a lot about academia, but really from K to academia, from K to college, yeah. about how the system has been taken over yeah. by Marxists, by totalitarians, by critical race theorists, gender theorists, who who find every every opportunity and, and, and seize every chance to inculcate our kids with, with these toxic uh, ideologies. And unfortunately, uh, the college campus is one of those places where, where, where the, these thoughts have taken hold. Um, and so I'm happy to see, as as the pandemic goes on, I'm happy to see these school reform movements uh, take hold. I'm happy to see parents realizing what is being taught at the schools and getting more involved and, and slowly realigning uh, our educational system to really what are our nation's true values. Because the fact is that the nation doesn't support um, this, this Gramscian garbage that you see um, in our culture and in our academia, in our schools, right. and and in our entertainment and everywhere else. So, I, I am heartened to see sort of this this pushback, even though it's in our in these early stages, and it's it's going to take it's going to take a significant effort to undo that whole Frankfurt March through our institutions. Yep. But the counter march is beginning, and and it's underway, and I'm happy to see that. Yeah, I believe that too. I believe that too. It's uh, you know, we'll see what happens, brother. But you know, our our, our good governor Ron DeSantis actually is uh doing something yes. about Florida. You know, why don't yes. you talk a little bit about that? I know you got to run, so. Well, Governor DeSantis did uh, sign an executive order, um, 
or, or actually no, there was legislation. Yeah. Florida has legislation yeah. where it funds students instead of systems. Yeah. So it gives parents more power, more more control, more choice over yeah. uh, their children's educational options. And that is a trend that we're seeing throughout the country. I'm happy to say Florida um, has been a leader for a long time, back, way back when Jeb Bush was governor. Yeah, when Jeb, when, when Jeb was a conservative, brother. When Jeb, you know, back in the day, Jeb signed that first school choice bill. That's right. That's so, right. Um, and by the way, Jeb's legacy was also stand your ground. Yeah. So Jeb was a strong man. Jeb was, yes. uh, to, to this day, I keep on saying Jeb was the best governor. You know, we had... Uh, you know, probably in the U.S., uh, definitely in Florida until now, until Ron DeSantis. Until, yeah. yes. This guy is the icing on the cake. Uh, this man will be president, without a doubt. I think so. Look, DeSantis is doing an awesome job. Yep. Um, whether it's on on school choice, whether it is on the anti-riot legislation, um, you know, he, he, he gets it. So we're, you know, we still, we still have a ways to go, but I'm, I'm happy to see uh, the things that happen. Now you contrast that with Virginia, <laughs> and what they did, they just eliminated advanced placement math yep. um, in their schools as part of equity. Uh, so now basically if a kid excels at math, it, it's just that much harder for them to go into advancement, advanced placement courses and, and get what they need in order to excel at college. So that just shows you. So they got um, rid of all the APs or what happened? They, they, in the name of equity, they, they've, they've gotten rid of some of their, uh, some of their AP programs Holy when it comes to math and calculus and all these things. Wow. So equity means, uh, everybody's equally mediocre. So you got to dumb down everybody. That's what it means. Instead of lifting Basically. people up, right? Yes. Well, we have, uh, we have our, 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 our dear friend, uh, you know, retired Colonel uh, Sergio de, de la Peña, who's running for governor in, uh, in Virginia. So yes. we wish him luck. He was on our show this week. And, you know, we'll see what happens, man. But, uh, Jorge, thanks for being on the show, buddy. You're a stud. You're always uh, welcome here. And, and keep calling out the media, man. They are horrendous, horrendous, fake news, lying activists. Anytime we got to stay on top of them over this uh, Hispanic caucus story. It is ongoing. Just one quick update before I go. The FCC, uh, FCC commissioner, Brendan Carr has pushed back against um, Darren. So Congressman Darren Soto and Congressman Ruben Gallego of the Hispanic caucus. And they're meddling into the transfer of a private uh, radio station license between private organizations because they don't like the content of the new owners coming in. That's viewpoint censorship. That's against the First Amendment. Um, Commissioner Carr has rightfully pushed back against that. That's great. And we got to keep the heat on him. So yeah, no, absolutely. Support. And you've been doing a great job on Twitter, man, uh, pounding uh, Soto and, and, and the Hispanic Caucus. And, you know, it, it's it's pretty sad to see that, right? But we also saw that from the left when they were calling for the ban of Fox News, Newsmax, and OAN. Uh, they were looking, they were calling to have them taken off uh, you know, the airwaves by Verizon and by AT&T and the other carriers. I mean, it's, it's disgusting, man. Hey, Jorge, where do they find you? Working, working, uh, our fellow Patriots keep in touch with, uh, with, with the stuff that you guys are putting out. You can find us at mrclatino.org. You can also find us at newsbusters.org slash Latino. You can find me on Twitter at Bonilla JL and our MRC Latino Twitter page is at MRC Latino. 
Awesome, brother. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for being Thank on you. the show. And uh, don't go anywhere. Well, actually, do go anywhere. Go get a coffee, have a cocktail, have some lunch. We're going to be back at, uh, what time are we? Be? Oh, actually, no, you got 15 minutes. You got a bathroom break. We'll be right back. So this is where we want to uh, say hello, give a shout out to our friends, not necessarily our sponsors, but friends, people that we support. And uh, they, we want to start with East Coast Auto, uh, great, great uh, group of guys over there led by uh, Luis Contreras. Give him a call. Give Luis a call, uh, 410-686-1000. He will hook you up with any vehicle you are looking for, specialty vehicles, you name it, 4 by 4s Fast cars, slow cars, work cars, give Lewis a call. And if you're looking for a badass car, um, a muscle car, American muscle car, I got to tell you, you got to call Don Omar over at Dark Cars Rockville, 305-363-4639. Um, he, just, he just set us up, uh, set up my son with his uh, uh, 2021 Dodge Challenger Scat Pack. Uh, what else is it? Uh uh, 392 SRT, whatever, Hemi, um, just a total beast. The car is absolutely amazing. Factory ordered it, uh, ordered it from scratch. Uh, just, just a good guy. And you know what? He worked us, uh, the best, best deal possible. Give Don, Don Omar a call. And if you're looking for tanks, you're looking for a sub, a PT boat, anything like that, uh, you know, to film a movie, uh, commercial, whatever. Uh, call Armor for Rent. Um, actually, look them up, armorforrent.com. You'll find all the vehicles that they have over there. Very, very cool stuff. Um, and just a shout out to some friends in the area. Uh, Gold's Gym in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, they are privately held. They're, they're, they're actually a franchisee. So give those guys, uh, you know, give those guys a help if you need to join a gym. Join one of the Gold's Gyms in the D.C. area. They're not, uh, they're not part of the, uh, the big corporate company. Uh, it's it's franchisee-owned, so it's, uh, you know, we got to help small business people out here. And, uh, and if you like martial arts, um, you should go train with Gracie Barra Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Virginia. And uh, maybe you'll run into me someday. Who knows? But uh, check them out, Gracie Barra Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And if you're having trouble sleeping, you know what to do. You got to call. Uh, you got to go get yourself a my pillow and uh, make sure you use promo code pray 45. You know that the uh, liberals are trying to cancel them out. Um, so with pray 45, you're getting a big, big discount. Um, and don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with our segment of law enforcement Fridays. Welcome back to Battleground. Our next segment is our uh, favorite segment, Law Enforcement Fridays. We have uh, two good guys, uh, Robert Arce and Saul Ayala, 
both uh, former law enforcement officers. They've done undercover work, narcotics, uh, work against cartels, etc. They're uh, two of the good guys, man. Um, let's welcome them on board. Uh, and there they are. Uh, hey, gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Good, good. All right. I got to uh, I got to bring you in the right way, Robert. And so talk for some coffee. There you go. Hey, it's uh, it's almost uh, twelve thirty for me, so I'm ready to start hitting the cocktails. It is Friday, brother. So, uh, and and I know it's gonna be uh, three o'clock somewhere very soon. So, you know, awesome. <laughs> I'm retired, so this is like the middle of the night for me, but uh, it's still good. I hear you, brother. Hey, how you guys doing, man? Doing good. Awesome. awesome. Very good. Very Excellent. good. Excellent, man. Hey, uh, what a week, man! And uh, I mean, we can go wherever the hell you guys want. It's your, uh, it's your, it's your Friday. Um, I just want to talk to you guys briefly, and you can go wherever you want. Um, the trial, the trial. Uh, first of all, you know, was it uh, was it the right verdict? And uh, and then, if you have any opinion, you know, whoever you so so, if you want to kick it off. Yeah, um, you know, I I missed most of, of the trial. I still, um, it's hard to tell what the jury was thinking, what they heard. Yep. However, it's very difficult for me to believe that no one in that jury was influenced or intimidated by the crowds and by the politicians who were speaking. Yep. Uh, I think that it, a good appeals attorney will be able to convince a court of that. The only problem with that is if they give him a new trial, then there's going to be more rioting. It's a it's a it's a sad case all around. It's a yeah. terrible yeah. situation. The video looks horrible. The video was yeah. devastating, wasn't it? Oh yeah, definitely devastating. The uh, the big difference is the whole video tells a little bit more. However, I think uh, Robert pointed it out last week. When someone is in your custody, you have to take care of them. They belong to you. Their life is in your hands. So anything you do to assist them, if they're complaining about their health, about not being able to breathe, it's not difficult to get somebody there to help them out or for you to begin to help them out. Um, and that's and that I think that's where the problem lies, right? Because I've, I, I I've, I've heard a lot of opinion from a lot of different law enforcement folks and talking about was he – was it an illegal uh, choke or hold down? Is that move allowed, not allowed? And and Robert pointed out, and you just did right now too, is I think where the problem is is when the subject was asking for help, that he couldn't breathe, that he was having a problem. And as a law enforcement officer, it's serve and protect, right? And at that point, he should have helped you know, the guy, I guess. Right from the very beginning, it looked like he was asking for help. Uh, as far as complaining about his breathing, so he, so he was overdosing before he was put in custody. Oh yes, yes, I believe so. I believe and that he had overdosed. And you guys, you guys have seen you know crackheads and people like that all 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 the time. So I mean, classic yes. case: somebody was overdosing and probably needed uh probably needed an ambulance and and, and not handcuffs, huh? Yes, and and it's not difficult for them to bring him out of that of that overdose. Is that right? Uh, the opiates, uh, yeah, it's it's very easy. They give him a shot. Uh, the opiates uh, do affect the breathing. That's a, that's 
that's how they uh, that's how they kill you. Uh, okay. I've seen both uh, dying uh, addicts and dead addicts, so it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty common. But the paramedics can take care of that problem very very easily. Is that right? Yes. Huh. yes. Hey, Nivon, funny story here is that on the flip side, where you have a prisoner, somebody in custody, it's very common practice for them to claim that they're in distress, I can't breathe, as a rookie. I was like in my first year, still on probation, inside the first year. I didn't even have a year on. Uh, I had a guy, uh, me and a partner, another rookie, a guy was complaining that he couldn't breathe, he was in distress, he needed to be unhandcuffed. We unhandcuffed him. Just one cuff, and we're still holding on. And he got up and took off running, and the chase was on. So after that, you just realize is that it's just a common, you know, you have to deal with that. You have to realize when they're really in distress and when they're just trying to get acting, uh, out, right. acting out to try and break free. Because they hit a point where at all costs, they're going to try and do what they can to escape from your custody. Yeah, because they're criminals. And like you mentioned the other day on our Spanish show, you said, you know, the, the, the problem is that, um, a lot of these guys, if you, if, if you put them in custody, they have warrants, they have all kinds of other stuff out there, and they're going, you know, they're going on vacation for a couple of years or or maybe even longer. So they don't want to be they don't want to be caught, right? And they're going to fight tooth and nail, and they're going to do whatever the hell they can to get away, right? So yes. that, that's the problem, right? That people don't understand, or they do, but they're they're just using this as a wedge, as a as a thing to say that there is systemic racism in in law enforcement. And I don't believe that. I mean, you guys are Latinos. I'm pretty sure you, you had plenty of black, you know, colleagues, uh, you know, peers or their officers. Were they racist? Were you guys racist? I mean, come on. Well, every, you know, we're human beings and everybody has their, uh, uh, their predetermined uh, ideas of, of other people, other different people. But at the same time, we took an oath and we're professional. I personally, in my 37 years, never saw it uh, taken out on the public in any way if anything um we might have felt a little bit of uh, of uh, maybe good boy type uh, system with internally uh back in the day however never did i see it taken out on the public and i was i was personally never never held back i can say that throughout my life i i never felt uh, that I was right. held back or or discriminated against. If I did, maybe I was just too dumb to see it. I just I just kind of ignored it and fought my way through it and uh, did what I had to do. Yvonne, and as Spanish speakers, as Spanish speakers working in Phoenix, uh, with all the drug problems and everything else, with a large Spanish speaking community, you're going to have a large Spanish speaking criminal community as well, because uh, you know you can't avoid it. As Spanish speakers, Saul and I and all the other Spanish speakers that we worked, I mean, it it helped us get to some of the elite uh, assignments probably faster because our language skills, our street skills, uh, a lot of these units that uh, Saul and I worked, uh, supervisors in those units were looking for guys like Saul and I who came from an inner city background. You right. know, guys like us are going to be more streetwise. Uh, we're going to be uh, a bigger asset. We're going to know how to talk to people. So, I mean, I never saw for, for to say that uh, there is some systematic racism and everything else. Uh, you hear the cries for it because you know, a lot of the media will say, well, why are they arresting so many people 
of color in this area. Well, that's all that lives there. That's all that lives there. I mean, what, what can we do? Uh, me being a, a gang cop, or especially when I work gangs, if I was patrolling in, say, for instance, a black neighborhood where there's a lot of crack cocaine, and I saw a white guy pulling out of the neighborhood at three in the morning, I know what he's doing. Yeah, Come on, he's find out. Yeah. yeah. He's not selling, he's not going door to door selling insurance. He, he just bought some dope. Yeah. And so he stands out. So there's different things that you look for. But I mean, you're not, you're not stopping him because he's a white guy. Then, you know, we, you got to get behind him and see if you find a, a traffic violation or something else. But it's just good policing. It's proactive policing that a lot of the politicians are trying to take away from the officers on the street right now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. It's pretty crazy. It's, um, you know, and, 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 you know, when you have the president of the United States, you have the vice president, you have the speaker of the house, you have members of Congress out there, you know, inciting riots and mobs, you know, and, and, and every member of the media, you know, rooting for a certain outcome. Um, you like, like Saul says, it's, it's, it's going to be very hard to prove that, you know, the jury was not influenced and, I already saw somewhere on Twitter an interview from one of the jurors that said exactly that, that she was afraid for her life, for her family, for her job, and that she didn't want to relive, you know, the riots of last summer. So she just, you know, went with the flow. Nobody pushed back. And, you know, they kicked the can. They said, you know, let it let it go to an appeal and and ha have it, have somebody else deal with it. You know, it, it was it was too too hard and too hot, and nobody wanted to get uh, stuck holding that bag. And you know that's unfortunate, right? Because at the end of the day, what you want is a fair trial. Um, I didn't see all the uh, all, all the details of the trial. I heard uh, some expert witnesses saying that this guy died of overdose, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but I also saw that video that was just you know it, it, it was it was horrible. I mean, right after I saw that video, I was like, man, I don't know how this cop is going to get off. I mean, is this, I mean, he's done, you know, but, um, you know, we had a previous guest on Jorge Bonilla from MRC Latino. Uh, they, they, they audit and, uh, and, and fact check the, the media. And, and like he said, you know, he, he had been in the criminal justice, uh, system for a long, long time, you know, uh, and, and had seen every, every, every possible trial from a DUI to capital murder. And he said, you know, the way it's in the United States is, you know, you're, you're innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, right? You're not guilty right. and you have to prove innocence, right? Like in other countries around the world, it is, it is completely different. And, you know, and, and the media and the politicians and everybody, you know, um, wanted it the other way. And it seems like that's, the, that, that's, that's the way it's going, you know, cause we also saw it during the Trump impeachments, right? And during yes. the processes, you know, Trump is guilty. Trump is guilty. He needs to prove that he's not guilty. And uh, no, that's not how it works in America. Uh, if you think he's guilty, that that's you have to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. You know, in, in America, you're innocent until otherwise proven. Um, so, well, you know, so, it, so it's tough, man. It's tough. You know, and, follow, excuse me, a follow up point on what I heard your interview with Jorge, an excellent yeah. interview. Yeah. Uh, a follow up point on that. We've, uh, you know, Saul and I have sat in. Same thing. Yep. Can't even count how many trials we've sat in from either just being the guy testifying to being the lead investigator. In, in all your years, you would say what? Hundreds? Thousands? Hundreds. Hundreds. I mean, you just lose track, including what a lot of people don't understand. 
before you go to trial, you have all these hearings, including suppression hearings, where defense attorney is going to try and throw out a key piece of your evidence. If he can get that piece of evidence thrown out, then it's going to be difficult for the prosecution. Once you win that suppression hearing, then normally they start lining up, oh, hey, give us a plea deal. We're, we're, we know we're done. But one of the things that Jorge hit on is that jurors have sometimes an unreasonable expectation from watching TV. They watch all these CSI shows that are that are not even real. And right. at the tail end of my career, the judges, where, where Jorge was talking about the jury instructions, well, in, in, in cases that I was working, the, the judge would have to, we were calling it the CSI jury instruction, where the judge would say, listen, you have to make a determination of guilt or innocence based on what you heard in this courtroom, on the evidence presented, not on what you see on TV, because the jury sometimes would come back and they're like, well, uh, you guys didn't get a license plate. Is there any satellite pictures that you guys could have got? Uh, or, you know, something that they saw on TV that it's not even real. So Kill. the judge got to the point on homicide cases, complicated cases, where they would say, listen, you make a determination on guilt or innocence based solely on what you saw, heard, and saw in this trial, in this courtroom, not anything that you see on TV. And, you know, as cops, the CSI programs are entertainment, but I laugh when I see those things. The only cop program that I watch that I enjoy is uh, A&E uh, First 48. Those are real cops. I mean, guys drinking coffee, guys getting called in the middle of the night, being dead tired and just keep following leads. That's real. But all the other stuff to me, it's 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 entertainment, but it's it's fantasy. What about cops, man? That was a fun show. Too bad they took it off, right? Yeah, yeah, they took that off. That was funny. Uh, I think any rookie cop working the street would watch that. After a while, you're like, okay, I've, I see this all the time. I don't watch it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's, so, it's, still, it's, still, it's still somebody with a camera in front of their face, so you know they're not going to act naturally. And yeah. I noticed they always uh, they always got the cop that they knew was not going to do anything dumb, do anything stupid, or do anything extra exciting, the good uh, – PR type guy to ride right along, but I can't imagine that whenever the cameras are around, people are just going to act naturally. You can see them playing it up, and you get tired of it eventually. Yeah, these these guys are just acting up for the camera, and they're not really yeah. being natural. Yeah. That's that's kind of the way it comes. But it was it was a pretty good show. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it, it was fun stuff. So, what else is going on, Robert? What else is going on? So, what's what's happening in the uh, world of law enforcement? Uh, insecurity, drug cartels. I mean, you know, we still have this issue at the border that uh, doesn't seem to to get any kind of resolution anytime soon, huh? No, it's still going on. The, the tragedy is still happening. The deaths are still occurring at the border. Uh, the word is out that uh, everyone gets $1,500 when they cross the border, so that they're coming more and more. The other side of the border is horrible. The camps down there are, are absolutely terrible. And uh, now I see a, a friend of mine sent me an article that the United States is disaligned travel to a bunch of countries, Mexico included. Well, I don't know if we're not allowed to go to other countries. We're not allowed to go to Mexico. Why are so many people, unvetted people, being allowed to crowd our borders and come in? It doesn't make sense to me. Who's getting 1500 bucks? Uh, when they cross the border. How, how does that work? Well, no, the people down there have heard about the stimulus checks. Oh. <laughs> so they they believe that everybody gets the money 
which is a huge incentive uh, for the uh, human traffickers, for the coyotes to get people to come across. And now, if they uh, if they heard about the fifteen thousand four hundred bucks that uh, that New York is offering, uh, New York is going to get flooded by everybody, right? Because uh, that's, an, that, that's, that's the that's other thing. thing. Yes, and then it'll be a stampede. It'll be a stampede heading to New York right now. Is what it is going to be crazy, man. It is going to yeah. be crazy. We're going to have to move uh, as far you know, away from New York as possible. That place is going to to, to hell in a hell in a handbasket. Makes, makes you want to get a New York address. Right, yeah, yeah, man. You know, you guys probably have some uh, guys down in the, you know, down in the rackets that can probably get us some fake IDs from other countries. You know, let's go, uh, let's get a couple of those and get Cuomo to write us a check for fifteen k, man. <laughs> yeah, well, very sure. easy, very easy to get a foreign. Yeah, passport. man, we could go down to Florida and spend it in a real red state. You know, where we could uh, uh, have a good time, not wear a mask, and uh, you know, uh, and, and boost the popularity of a great governor. But anyways, um, what what a what a disaster, man! What a disaster! Hey, Robert, what are you hearing, man? What what's what's happening? One one thing that I really wanted to touch on that's something that kind of like touched my heart in 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 a sad way is uh, you know you have all these uh, Black Lives Matter they're they're just waiting for a white cop to shoot a person of color so they can start protesting and everything else. But yet uh, in Chicago, I think it was Sunday, last Sunday, I think I posted it. I think you saw it where the seven-year-old girl with her father was sitting in a drive-thru to McDonald's in Chicago. And her, her father was a, a hardcore gang member. Uh, prior, He just got out of prison, was on parole. And another gang drives up, opens fire, and they riddled the, the car with it. While they're sitting in a drive-thru to McDonald's, and the seven-year-old girl's hit six times and she's killed. No, nothing from these NBA players, absolutely no outrage in anything else. But one of the things that people don't realize, and, and this is, I mean, I'll say it till, till I can't talk anymore, is that what you see happening in these inner cities, that type of violence is being driven by one thing. It's being driven by Mexican drug cartels because it's, it's driven by the drugs that are flowing into those cities. And you got uh, street gangs at the street level fighting for the lucrative street market to move those drugs. And it all goes back to Mexico. It goes back to Mexico where in Chicago, it's Sinaloa and Jalisco are supplying that city. You talk to anybody from DEA that's working there right now, any of the street cops. I have friends that are street cops there. And the violence is driven by, and whatever happens in Mexico affects what's happening in the US. You look at, the, I was talking to Saul yesterday, you look at Tijuana, you look at Ciudad Juarez, the homicides are spiking because that's where the drugs are coming through, some of these areas along the border. In, in Chicago, I think, has had 180-some homicides this year alone, 180. You look at Tijuana, Tijuana has over 600, 600 homicides. Tijuana, I mean, and so Chicago, you know, Chicago has a reputation as being extremely violent. It is, but if you look at Tijuana, I mean, Chicago looks like slouches compared to what's going on in Tijuana right now. You know, 600 plus homicides, and in, and, in, and in Tijuana, they only solve 5% of them. That's it. They only solve 5%. So my, my point would be is that here's we have a seven-year-old girl is killed in Chicago sitting in a drive-thru. I, I posted the picture on my site. A beautiful little girl, heartbreaking. And yet there's no outrage. Nobody's marching uh, because she wasn't killed by a white cop. And to me, that's a sad state of affairs we are at this point because – we got these attention whores 
that are looking, you know, and it's much easier for some of these people to point a finger at a, at, at a cop. The cops are not the problem. There's something wrong in these neighborhoods where, where people are not being parents and not raising their children the right way. And it's it's an absolute disaster. So well, I saw the other, the other night you mentioned that, right? What is a thirteen-year-old yes. doing, you know, out on the street at you know three o'clock in the morning with a gun, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, you know, like uh, when I was thirteen years old. I mean, can you imagine being out in the street at that time? No, I mean you, you'd be asleep. And uh, what, what about the uh, you know the Ohio situation where the cop shoots the uh, shoots that girl to save the other girl's life because she was about to get stabbed to death? And, um, you know, you have uh, riots and, 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 and all kinds of crap. Uh, was that a fair shoot? So I think it was a good shoot. There was nothing he could have done. Right. Um, this is the uh, uh, Makia Bryant shooting. Uh, yep. Nothing he could have done uh, to shoot to protect your life or the life of another. That's, that's what it's all about. It's just, uh, it's sad to see people making those commentaries. Uh, you hear the commentaries of the people around the, uh, the standby, stand, the people standing by at the shooting, yelling and screaming that that's a little kid, that's a little kid. But none of those adults that are screaming jumped in to grab her and grab the knife away from her. And uh, she was anything but a little kid. She was right. a dangerous person at the time. Girl. Yeah, she was a big yeah. girl. She was a big person. Um, and and that, that's part of the challenge, right, is, you know, does he risk getting stabbed himself and does he let the other girl get stabbed or killed um so he doesn't have to shoot i mean what what i mean i don't understand what the left is really trying to accomplish if they want police officers to no longer use force no longer use guns um what kind of law enforcement are we going to have well, they, they continue taking away tools uh, that officers can use to defend themselves and defend the, the public. Nothing is left but the gun at this point. It, uh, they've taken away all the tools. Uh, the, the taser, again, my opinion, is uh, to me, uh, has been a disaster. It does help in certain cases. Um, I just watched another video. A Hispanic was shot uh, uh, chasing an officer around a car. He was chasing the officer because the officer tried to tase him. A uh, guy with a knife, deadly force situation, officer comes up with a taser. Does end up having to shoot the guy. However, as we spoke about before, deadly force, no taser. The rules to use a taser call for uh, someone covering with deadly force and somebody using the taser. It's just, it's just black and white. Uh, however, with the shooting in Ohio, uh, the officer acted absolutely correctly. He saved somebody's life. No one is talking about the victims at the scene that were stabbed. No one was talking about the 911 call. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy that uh, you know that we're seeing that uh, we're we're seeing that situation. You know, because he did save somebody's life. He saved you know uh, another person. He probably saved multiple people's lives. Right? It was just out of control. You know. Uh, knife, knife swinging person, you know, that, 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 that was trying to kill everybody. So, of course, you got to put that threat down. Uh, Robert, um, is there a problem in law enforcement now not being able to go hands on and having to do these things like uh, Saul was talking about 
you know, using a taser or, or running, right? I mean, we've seen some videos of, of an officer running from a guy, you know, saying, yeah. stand back, get away from me, get away from me. And, and the guy backing them all the way into the, into a main road and the right. officer not doing anything. Um, you know, and, and at the end, the officer getting stabbed and having another officer having to shoot the guy anyways. Um, I saw that video. It, it's horrible. What happened, too, is that, uh, like, the officer in the Columbus shooting, yeah. his 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 life is pretty much over. I don't – he was in the right, but, I mean, the media's after him. LeBron James posted his photo and said, here he is, yeah. everything else. But the, the thing is, is that it reminds me when when Saul and I were young cops still working the street, we had a guy that we worked with that was working, I think he was at a side job or something, and some guy high on drugs went after him. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, New York, Saul, he ended, mm -hmm. this guy comes after him, but there had been a series of shootings involving people of color that the media had made a big deal. And, and our partner was in a position where he could have used deadly force, and instead he was retreating. He retreated, he retreated. He should have shot the guy. He got hurt because he would not use deadly force. And later on, I asked him, what were you doing? And he said, I, all I kept thinking is what the media was going to do to me. <laughs> he, that's what he told me. And I remember he said, I can just picture myself. They were going to ruin me. They were going to ruin my family. My career was going to be over, even though he was in a position to use deadly force. And uh, he ended up getting hurt. Uh, he eventually took control of this guy. The guy was just high on drugs, uh, but still it was like, uh, it, it's going back to the hands-on thing. I think what happened, and I mentioned it, I think in, I think on the Spanish show that I did for you was I think over a series of time, as cameras started coming out, people don't realize sometimes when you're trying to take someone into custody, you have to use fist strikes. You know, you don't hit them 10 times, but you get a couple of fist strikes in to be able to control them, you grab onto them, well, then the, the, the films start coming out, and then the media doesn't understand or the public doesn't understand, and they're like, well, you can't do that anymore. Well, we need you to do pepper spray. We need a taser. When If, if you're a criminal hell-bent on not going to jail, you know, you're going you're gonna to laugh at, this, at the pepper spray. You're going you're gonna to grunt when they hit you with a taser, but you're still going to be able to fight. Yeah. So we're having to go to some of these other things that, in reality, we should just go hands-on, or if you go to the point, you got deadly force. But then uh, it just – the media continues to sound this horn where, oh, look at these cops. They're, they're, they're just thugs. They're doing this. And it makes life more dangerous, not only for us, but for the public. Well, you know, and to add that, you know, it, it's, it's – uh, and we talked about it on, 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 the, Bonito, on the Spanish show is uh, how there's a max exodus in law enforcement, right? We just saw uh, Seattle, uh, they're putting a $15,000 signing bonus, uh, and they're recruiting cops from Colorado and, you know, different states, Wisconsin, et cetera, to try and uh, fill the void because everybody left. You know, who the hell wants to be a, a, a cop in Seattle? That place is a shithole, right? And, and, and the mayor's an idiot, and, and it's full of woke, uh, woke anarchist, you know, Antifa criminals, right? So... Who the hell wants to go live there and, and especially be a law enforcement officer over there? But, uh, you so, know, go ahead. So, you know, we, uh, yeah, we uh, here in Phoenix, uh, I'd say for the last uh, 10 to 15 years, we've been running really, really low on manpower. Um, before it was because the, the 
quality of uh, of applicants was low, and they were very careful about who uh, who they hired. Uh, lately and just recently, they can't get anybody to take the test. It's uh, Phoenix has has always been one of the better places to come. There's people from all over the country, actually all over the world, that have come here to work in in law enforcement because of the conditions. At this point, I think the younger people are thinking twice before doing this, and they are not able to hire. They're not able to keep up with retirement, with attrition, and the manpower is really low, which causes a lot of other problems, including uh, the morale. Uh, and again, the, the quality of the work suffers. Hey, you know, we, we saw we saw the uh, the the situation with with law enforcement right last summer with the riot. That was really bad. I think that deterred anybody in their right mind from being in law enforcement. I think when you saw what happened last summer with Antifa and Black Lives Matter, you know that Marxist criminal organization, those terrorists, you know. What they did last summer to this country and what they did last summer to law enforcement is absolutely heinous and disgusting and despicable. But anybody watching that would have said, you know what? There is no way in hell I'm going to be in law enforcement. I'm not going to take that bullshit. I mean, these, these thugs getting in the face of law enforcement, spitting at them, you know, throwing shit at them. Uh, the insults, the name calling, the harassment, the, you know, where, where does it stop? Where do you draw the line? Somebody spits at me. I'm going to beat the shit out of them, right? I mean, yeah. come on, guys. And and as a law enforcement, you can't do that. You know that should be considered assault. Um, I, you know, I mean, it's it's insane, man. I mean, how how what are they, what is it that they want to do? I I understand the squad, the radical Marxist crazy maniacs. You know, and they and and they, they tweet out saying, you know, get rid of the police, get rid of arrests, and get rid of prisons. So what what are we going to have a lawless society? I mean, I, I don't know, guys. I mean, what, what do you what do you what do you guys feel? I mean, you guys are both former law enforcement, so you just retired. What is the morale inside? The morale the morale is low. I was at the gang squad uh, right at the end, and they were assigned to the to the riots. I think it's something. They were somewhere between fifty and sixty days straight. On top of that, they still had their duties. Uh, they're a great group. They're a great group go-getters. Go uh, Robert worked that unit years ago. Great unit. However, they were exhausted, and it's sad. I, I'll give you an example. Right now, at this moment, there are people who are at home who are being disciplined for things they said on their cameras going from one place to another personal conversations uh, our department the department the city is going back and playing every single tape every single body tape so if you made any kind of personal observation that was negative toward the rioters toward the the people on the other side uh, they're being disciplined for that this is this is how this is how difficult it is you have supervisors that are being disciplined uh, for personal conversations they had. I listened to one of the conversations that was it was publicized. There was nothing racist in it. Uh, there was just some expletives about about the uh, the way the other people were, were acting and things like that. 
that is the, that's what's going on right now. Uh, they are exhausted uh, over over that period of time. And what what is worse of all, Phoenix of all cities had no need uh, for this. We have been probably eight to ten years ahead of the ball as far as a sensitivity uh, towards minorities, towards uh, other, uh, towards gay people, things like that. Lots of training. Los Angeles is the same way. Um, we have had uh, probably in the past five years uh, de-escalation training. Really, really important stuff. De-escalation does not mean retreating. It, it is an amazing type of training. I was very proud to hear the list of demands that uh, that the protesters had for police departments. Uh, I, I read the demands and it's like, wait a minute, we've been doing that for years. Uh, it's just, uh, there was no reason for them to come and try to destroy our city. And I was very, very proud when the chief uh, uh, made, gave the, uh, uh, let's arrest everybody order the the night. Um, after that, uh, most of the uh, the organized rioters left town uh, when uh, I think the police department arrested 200 people that night. Uh, and then they and they went after them. After that, the the riots, they were there, but it wasn't like uh, like they were before. Uh, so th there was no reason, especially in some of the West Coast cities, some of the the cities that were have nothing to do with uh, with any of these things. Uh, however, it's just the opportunity to be able to to, to face uh, the authority and and make a make a big stink. It's it's cultural Marxism, uh, uh, Yvonne. You, you and I know it. It's they have a agenda to create chaos and disorder and push a political agenda and take the power away from police. I mean, I think if it was up to these guys. Uh, they would eliminate the police and replace them with uh, their own security force that is loyal to a political party. And uh, that's, that's, I mean, we've seen anyone that's, that's looked back at history, this is what happens. And they, uh, I have, we're talking about the morale problem. My, my son is, uh, was in the Marine Corps for eight years, uh, an infantry Marine, uh, fought in Afghanistan, was in, in Fallujah, Iraq, saw some, some fighting and, and, uh, he got out, uh, went to the police academy, uh, finished the academy, and also one day he calls and goes, "Dad, he was processing because he was he went to Miami at the uh, police academy over there." Sure. And once you get out, then you start processing with an agency. It's not like in Phoenix; you already have a job. He called me, and all of a sudden he's like, "Dad, I think I'm gonna. I was trying to be a cop because of what you did, and I already fought my wars. I want a normal life." He says, "I remember you were never home at night. You had worked holidays and." We always worried about you. I want a normal life for my children. And I'm looking at what's going on. I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. And I said, don't do it for me. You need to do it for yourself. And he went into the private sector and he's happy. And, and, uh, and I'm telling you, he, he thought this is what he wanted to do. He excelled in the academy. He was there, uh, 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 the class leader and everything else. He was appointed because of his combat experience, but it's, it's a, it's a difficult situation because it's uh, I can't imagine starting my career right now, especially when Saul was telling me how they're listening to a body cameras and recordings. And I had a black partner and I think the, the military, the police is a lot alike. You get guys from such different, diverse backgrounds and you put them in a squad car together. I mean, I had 
a partner that was an Indiana uh, farm boy. I had black partners. I had guys that were from New York, from any any type of background you can think of, and you put them together in the same squad, and we would take a bullet for each other. We're brothers, and 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 people, you know, and we're, I, you don't see any racism. We we hey, we bust each other's balls yeah. in the car among each other. And I can't imagine that we could not say certain things to each other jokingly, where now they're going to try and discipline us for it. it, it it's just that they're trying to control the way anybody thinks our jokes. Just a thought police is what they become. Yeah, I wonder if, um, you know, if, if what they're looking for is, you know, Antifa to uh, take over policing or or maybe they have a better idea. Maybe they have the uh, pussy hat clan, right? Um, the, the, those guys were with, 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 with the vagina hats. And the uh, vagina suits, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe those guys become law enforcement, and uh, you know, and better yet, if uh, you know they're they're part of the uh, Latin X uh, cart carrying community, you know, um, I, I just don't get it, brother. Law enforcement should be apolitical; it should have nothing to do with politics. Same as the military, um, you guys, and 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 the military take oaths to protect you know the country and the constitution and. And and leave them alone, man. Let them do their jobs. I, I don't know why they're trying to inject all this po- all this politics into uh, into good people and and you know and people that put their lives at risk to uh, to keep us safe. It's just uh, it, it's bizarre to me, brother. I just don't get it. Um, but we'll see. I mean, um, something that I've been reading a little bit about um, Robert was um, the you know we we had talked about the fentanyl and and the opioids and all that and so I talked about it as well um but um you know the cocaine trafficking seems to be stronger than ever oh yeah seems yeah, uh, stronger than ever like volume volume numbers of, of of tons of cocaine that are coming into the country and that are moving throughout the region and cocaine uh, yeah, cocaine. Yeah, and, and something cocaine that I, was, I brought cocaine up, was the big star. Yeah, I brought it up back, back I brought in the it up to Robert before. I said, "How come it doesn't get any coverage?" And and, and that's what I wanted to ask you guys because we know the volumes are up. So go, yeah, go ahead. cocaine. Cocaine was the big star back in the uh, 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 the Escobar years. You, yep. you talk about the cocaine cowboys in Miami and all that. You know, cocaine was real expensive back then, yeah. um, and. Uh, the year 2000 saw the greatest production of cocaine in history. In history. I'm not talking about the 1990s, uh, uh, Escobar, uh, Cali Cartel, Medellin Cartel. No, no, no. In history, um, Europe is blowing up with the cocaine. Uh, Europe, uh, Australia, places like that. The, the uh, Sinaloa Cartel. Uh, owns much of the land, much of the laboratories in Colombia. Yep. Uh, they've uh, they've made their way there, uh, so the the cocaine is is free flowing right now. It's it's not as cheap as it was at one point, but it's there. It's there, What's and it's, it's going up. What's the cocaine cost right now? You know what? Uh, the last uh, kilo of cocaine that I was around. It, it, it right now it's between twenty twenty five thousand here wow. in Phoenix. That's hard. Um, I think I would say if you bought it uh, wholesale from if you yep. had the connections, I mean you you get down you know anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand. 
Um, however, you're talking about a product that can easily be doubled with by by cutting it, cutting uh, it. Uh, by adding uh, by adding other substances to it. Um, but that's the thing is it's out there. The crack community is still alive is it? here in the valley. I'm sure it's the same way in, in other other parts of the city. Fentanyl, fentanyl has obviously taken the place of it, but the cocaine is definitely there. If they're producing that much cocaine, someone's using it. And I, I don't think I don't think the, the Europeans are using it all. And it seems like uh, I remember growing up, you know, I grew up in the 80s, um, you know, I remember the, the, you know, like you mentioned, you know, Miami Vice, Cocaine Cowboys. I mean, everything that was going on in freaking Miami, it was insane. And, you know, even even around the D.C. area, I mean, you know, there's there is cocaine, but it was very hush hush hidden. You know, it was very expensive. Um, and I guess mostly kids would just drink and maybe 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 smoke a little marijuana. Right. Um, it seems now. It, cocaine is everywhere. Um, you go to any club and you walk into a bathroom and everybody is is doing blow. Everybody's getting bumps. I mean, it, it just seems like it's like it's wide open, almost like it's been decriminalized, but it obviously hasn't, right? Yeah. And Yvonne, um, the, the crazy thing about it, you know this, uh, being uh, as much travel as you do in, in, yeah. in Latin America, is that it funds... It funds uh, political regimes down in, in Latin America. It, it, it finances them. Yep. Uh, you go down anywhere down south, and uh, they use the money, the, the drug money, to to finance their activities, uh, to attack their uh, political rivals, and and it's power. It's power because there's so much money into it, and eventually these these thugs down that are these ruler, rulers down there will get involved in the drug trade, and uh, and and I'll tell you the money. I mean, we've talked about. Los Soles and, and everything else down in Colombia. Before COVID, I was getting ready to make a trip down to uh, to Colombia and go meet with some contacts in law enforcement down there. But uh, everything went down because they were interested in the Sinaloa connection down yeah. in, in Colombia. Yeah, yeah, I believe that, man. It's 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 pretty bad, and you know, and in Peru too, and in Bolivia, and all these countries. I mean, they're just so plugged in and. And uh, you, well, hey, you know Mexico, right? Mexico, we, we've we've known that you know there have been cartel members in the cabinet of each president. You know, uh, Honduras, the president's brother, is indicted in in prison actually uh, as a cocaine kingpin. And you know, everybody says that the president's actually part of that organization, but you know he's president, so you know who who knows what it's, what's going to happen um, afterwards. But he was a pretty good ally with the United States on the immigration stuff. So I guess we kind of left him alone, right? And that's kind of the give and take. And we talked about it. Um, I think I don't know if we talked about it on the on the Spanish channel, on the Spanish show, or or we talked about it off offline, Robert, about the um, you know, the last narc, the 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 show that's on either Prime or, or Netflix, right? About the uh Operation Leyenda and um and uh and, and that entire situation with the Sinaloa cartel, Jalisco, Guadalajara, all that all that stuff down there. I mean, it is uh, you know, it th those people haven't gone away, right? None of them have gone away. No, uh <clears throat> the president of Mexico, Obrador, I think I think this guy, uh he, he's very naive. I I don't agree with his base politics, 
However, I'm not sure that he's one of the guys that's going to be getting bribes. A lot of his, I'm sure a lot of his cabinet is, but I, I think he's a pretty honest guy. The, the previous Mexican president obviously oh, took major bribes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very, very, very commonly known. Uh, I think some uh, uh, showbiz people, Mexican showbiz people actually set up the bribes for him. It, it, it's uh, it, it's pretty sad down there. But no, the Jalisco cartel, uh, the new uh, Jalisco Nueva uh, Generación, is very rich, very powerful. Uh, of course, the Sinaloa cartel has uh, has fractured a little bit. However, Mayo Zambada is very powerful. The Chapo Sons are very powerful. Uh, Rafael Caro Quintero, who's wanted for the murder of a DEA agent, formed a new cartel. Did he really? Sonora. Yeah, uh, the Gaborca cartel, I believe it's called. He's got a lot of family in Sonora, in the state of Sonora, um, and uh, so they're they're fighting for the the drug um, smuggling um, routes that he. Those are cocaine guys, right? Those traditionally, cocaine guys. Rafa Rafael Caro Quintero uh, definitely did smuggle coke. Still does, probably still smuggles fentanyl. Three, but Rafael made his fame with marijuana. Yeah. He was the marijuana guy. Um, he's the one who pioneered the gigantic farms uh, down in the deserts. Yeah, he's the guy in, in that Camarena uh, busted, and that's where. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yes, yes. Yep. And the thing about Quintero, uh, well, the Rafael Caro Quintero. There's lots of Quinteros. There's lots of Caros. There's the family all over. He's got connections uh, in La, La Línea. He's got family members that are Beltran Leva. He's got connections with with the other Sinaloa factions, and he's even got a son who lives in Guadalajara and is protected by the Jalisco cartel. Very well-connected guy. Uh, I would love to run into him and uh, get that reward. But, uh, but yeah. $50 million, right? Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but he's out there. Still. Hey man, let me know, dude. I got you know I got plenty of weapons. I, I'd love to go catch them too. Fifty million bucks. I'm pretty sure. Uh, you know, three three old guys like uh, like ourselves could probably uh, get get at least as close to his mailbox. You know, <laughs> at least at least. So so no, none none of those players have gone away, and the the violence, as as Robert pointed out, is uh is still it's still clicking along, and. Uh, Still the beheadings, still all of all of that stuff going on, and uh, fighting for the profit and why the not, government. Why is it not getting any coverage? Yeah, what, it why? just just you know. But uh, going back on the reward thing, we could yeah. roll in. We could roll into Sonora like the old Apple Dumpling Gang or something, you know. We we probably make it as far as his mailbox, man, before being yeah. mowed down, you know. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. hey, you know, if uh, they they you know they want to set our family up with a little bit of that reward money, at least for pointing out where he lives. Hey, you know, I'll, I'll take a round or two, I guess. You know, but. Uh, uh, I, I can't believe, dude, that nobody has turned him in. Isn't that crazy? Because no, we they, gotta they, have undercover people. We gotta know where he is. Well, I think I think they do know where he is. In fact, he's been negotiating with the Mexican government to try to get his charges uh, uh, taken yeah. care of so that he, they won't extradite him. The United States government won't budge, but but he's still been negotiating with them. Uh, they they denied him, and I'm sure they know they know where he is. Um, they just don't want it's to just it's one of those things. The thing about going down there and getting him, I think the government, the U.S. government, has made it illegal for any private agents to go down there and grab anybody, which is it's pretty ridiculous. 
It's pretty stupid. I mean, that happened with the uh, with, with 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 the doctor. Remember, um, yes. with the doctor, uh, you know, supposedly they called it a kidnapping, you know, instead of an apprehension, and uh, you know, uh, and, and and the guy got released, uh, you know, and all the charges dropped. So that that's yeah. that's a challenge. Uh, yeah, the guy yeah. that was injecting Camarena's heart. Yep. To try to keep him alive during the interrogation, and uh, they uh, they just let him go. Can you believe that crap, man? It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy, and uh, and you guys probably know a lot of these guys that have uh, that that played around in that era, and uh, and you know, and uh, it, it, it's tough, man. It's tough. I think um, I think at some point, um, I, I just don't know what the solution is. I mean, here in the U.S., you're seeing you know the legalization of of marijuana, and wh where does that really go? Where does that really end? Uh, it, is the Fed going to just uh, open it up? Because you saw we're seeing some states where they decriminalized it, and now they're legalizing it for for recreational use. Before it started under medical use, right? It starts as a medical use. So when is cocaine next, right? When is cocaine next? And the other thing is, you know, some of these Latin American countries, you know, from what I understand, you know are starting are going to bring a lot of pressure and a lot of political pressure and international pressure on the Biden administration right because the US war on drugs into these countries for decades right that have created you know violence and chaos and wars and and everything in these other countries and now the US is legalizing these drugs these countries are like whoa, whoa, wait a minute you came here you ransacked our country, created wars, chaos, shootings, killings, everything, and now you're legalizing it? Buy it from us. Why are you making it over there? Hold on. You know, and, and I think they might have a legitimate case, man. You know, I mean, if I was president of one of these countries, I'd be picking up the phone, calling Joe Biden, going, hey, dude, um, you know, all this shit, the last 40 years war on drugs, you know, we have a country full of this crap. I can start sending it to you in containers, you know? Uh, either that or you're going to give me, uh, you know, some royalties out of all the weed that you guys are selling over there. I mean, something, right? Um, that's going to be the next step. Watch. That's the next step. One of the things that, you know, you hear the, uh, the, the crowd that, well, this war on drugs. There's, I follow a lot of some people that uh, are, do some really good reporting out of Mexico. They're international reporters, whatever, but they do some really good reporting. But yet they're part of the, we need to legalize drugs. Right. We need more treatment. But yeah. you know, I, I think they're so naive. You how how do you force treatment on someone that doesn't want it? Right. I mean, we uh you cannot force someone. Are you gonna chain them to a bed, force treatment on them, and then when they're clean, you let them go. As soon as they walk out of that treatment center, they go right back and hit the pipe or do whatever. It just it's just so unreasonable. They've never been around addicts. I have uh, I I think I've mentioned to you before, I have two cousins. That died of heroin overdoses. They were longtime heroin addicts, wow. and they destroyed themselves. And, and it was a tragedy watching them destroy themselves. And they eventually died, died of heroin overdoses. And that doesn't even count the people Saul and I knew that died of uh, liver problems and everything else. But you cannot, you cannot force an addict to go to treatment and come out successfully unless they're ready to do it themselves. It just doesn't work. No, I mean we had a, we had a friend of a, a friend of the families whose niece apparently somehow got you know sucked into drugs and got 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 into the whole heroin actually down there where you guys are in Phoenix and um, and this you know 
good girl, um, you know, I, I guess had been in and out of rehab a bunch of times. And uh, one day they found her overdosed, uh, I think, on heroin. I think she was a heroin user. Right. So, you know, so it's just really, really sad. Um, I, I, I don't think legalizing drugs is a way to go, guys. I mean, I, I, I really don't. I think there's got to be a way. There's, I just don't know how to do it. Um, yeah. Or else I'd probably be, you know, the, the richest guy in the world. But, you yeah. um, know, I mean, we, we've tried everything, right? And And you can't really eradicate drugs in those countries because it sustains their economies, you know, right. and parallel economies that, are, that revolve and sustain around this drug trafficking and the, and, 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 and the drug revenues. Right. So if you take out all the drugs out of those countries, those, those economies are going to collapse. Um, they would be a disaster. So you can't, I don't know, man, unless you just sit there and say, well, tough luck, man, we're going to go down and just bring war to your country and just really just lay it, lay that country out like Iraq, you know, and just, you know, bomb the crap out of it for you know 60 90 120 days and uh and, and leave it in ruins right and then you know shit they're not gonna be able to grow anything right um how, how do you how do you stop this I, I mean you guys have been in law enforcement for a long time you've been on on both sides you've been undercover you've been done cartel work you know who the players are you know the you know everything how do you fix this or is it unfixable i have no clue i really have no clue the <laughs> The demand is there, and it is always going to be there. I think I mentioned before that that even Mexico uh, produ production company producing company is now considered a company of con a country of consumption. The drug problem there, the drug consumption in Mexico, is rampant. It's terrible. Uh, Robert had a had a story uh, back in the day um, that really illustrates the lifestyle that addicts live. The drug causes them to be, be members of a certain lifestyle, which is very, very difficult uh, for them to leave alone. Uh, it's very difficult for an addict to quit using drugs when, when their whole world revolves around these drugs. All of their friends, their family is, is all involved. Uh, I remember Robert had a, had a female um, suspect who, uh, who was going to cooperate or had cooperated and was going to get this great deal. You know, kids taken care of, you can go to school, just be on probation. And she refused the deal because she would not let go of her lifestyle. She, I think, uh, I don't remember, remember Robert, you guys call, used to call her Miadas? The, <laughs> the, the girl that, that said that she loved her lifestyle. And how do you, how do you get that through people's heads? Uh, the, the, the legalization of the drugs, you know that's that's you know that's the the moral issue that's the big argument you know libertarians say yeah you know whatever you do with your body is your problem whatever i can understand some of that but i've seen the effects and, and they're very scary obviously and uh, of course um you know i i almost got killed several times because of of drugs and because somebody had to have their little bit of drugs you know because of because of the flow of uh, of drugs coming up it endangers everybody it endangers a huge amount of people so i don't i don't know i don't know that i don't know the answer that's gonna you know whoever finds out that answer is gonna be uh be a very famous uh world leader because i don't know what probably a very wealthy man right yes so, um hey um so we're, we're we're running out of time here but i know you have a story i wanted to ask you about it um i understand you have been shot before yes yes tell us about that will you <laughs> Well, 
I have to preface this with uh, when we were young undercover guys, we did a lot of really crazy things. And uh, I don't know, by God's grace, none of us got hurt. Uh, so I, it was one of the times that I was, uh, say, asked to go away uh, because of for political reasons. I went back to a patrol unit and I worked at West Side of Phoenix. Um, uh, it was a situation where a, a guy uh, who was high on cocaine uh, who was a previously deported um, uh, Mexican national uh, and who I knew personally, kidnapped his wife, uh, shot another officer. I, I happened to find out, find him, my partner and I found him hiding in the bushes and we gave chase and there was a confrontation where we, we exchanged gunfire. And unfortunately I was, I was, uh, I was injured. Um, and, uh, Pretty uh, eye-opening experience. Uh, you know, you never think that can happen to you. Um, you never think. Uh, coincidence is uh, Robert was all, was also in exile and patrol at the time because I, I remember he showed up at the hospital when when I was when I was laying there. Uh, the thing is, uh, you know, you you do all these crazy things. You get you get this kind of feeling of a of a of you know you're superman nothing could ever happen to you when it happens to you it does uh, it's very humbling and it's very painful you know it's very painful physically um um the suspect the person that, that did this was armed with a shotgun and uh luckily he didn't have very good ammunition because otherwise otherwise i wouldn't survive but uh but i still received some some fairly serious injuries and and i've been dealing with it uh, for the past 26 years or so, uh, it's still every day. It's still, you know, having some pain and having some issues with it. Uh, and of course, there, there's the uh, the psychological damage that that happens when something like that happens to somebody. <clears throat> um, but yeah, you know, I I I could get really really into it uh, into the story. It just it it, it takes a, a while. But luckily, I I managed to survive. Um, the uh, the person that did this didn't survive, and um, which which is which is always un unfortunate. Uh, how, however, um, I I can't uh, I can't help but to think that if somebody had done their homework at the border, uh, this wouldn't have happened to me. And I have a little bit of anger over that. Um, and um, uh, there's a lot of other things, you know. I, I did, I did a couple of tactical. I committed a couple of tactical errors, and I put myself in the situation um, uh, that I where, where I got injured. But, but going back, you know, you think about the violence nowadays against police officers. That year, which was 1994, we had 13 Phoenix police officers shot that year. Wow. Um, I believe three of them had to be medically retired. Um, none of us died. Uh, but the, it's something that's been going on here in the Southwest for many years. And it's, again, all tied to Mexico. It's all tied to the drugs. It's, it's all tied to, to the cartel, the, the demand for, for these drugs. Uh, you know, one of these days when there's a lot of time, I'll, you know, I'll tell the whole story. There's a lot of little, little, little parts to it that, that are interesting, but, uh, but I have a, I have a, pretty big scar to remind me every day about it and and uh and a lot of pain that still that still comes around 
Well, so, whenever you're ready, we'd love to hear the stories. I think uh, I think it's important for you know regular folks to understand you know real real life tragedy from a law enforcement perspective that you know is not TV, is not in the movies. It's it's real, right? It's uh, you know people right. get shot, people lose their lives, people get injured, and, and and you really are putting your life at risk. It's not this you know vagina hat crew. Um, you know, parading around, just screaming and yelling and, and, and pretending they're going to go sit there and, and, and hug, you know, criminals and sing Kumbaya together. And, and that'll be at the end of crime. That doesn't exist. That doesn't work that way. That's why, you know, we've created Law Enforcement Fridays for you guys to come in here, share your stories, talk about, you know, the real stuff, the real problems, not just, you know, um, stuff at the border, but, you know, what's happening, you know, what, what's happening yeah. In, in the law enforcement community and what happens on the other side, right? Where all the bad stuff comes, you know, Sinaloa, Jalisco, you know, Medellin, Cali, you know, and, and, and all the big stuff that's around it that really creates a real problem. It's not just, oh, you know, uh, it, it's a bunch of poor kids that didn't have, you know, the right, um, the right opportunities. And, you know, like, like Robert was saying, you know, we need more, uh, um, rehab and, you know, education or, or whatever hell it is. It, it's, it's a lot more complex than that, right? It's a lot more complex. Yeah. It's a multi-billion dollar industry and it will corrupt anybody. And, 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 you know, really at, at any level, as we know in governments um, and, and around the world, right? Even here, I mean, we know that there are a lot of people in law enforcement at, you know, DEA, CIA, even local law enforcement that they get corrupted by, by these cartels, right? So it's, it's a real thing, it's a, and it's a very dangerous thing, man. A, a, a note, a, a note on unsolved shooting. The night that he got shot, I had attended a wedding, and I went into work a little late. And I was, uh, I turned on my computer, looked in the car, and there's a message saying, uh, "Officer Saul Ayala is at the hospital. Uh, he's at blah blah blah, and he is expected to survive." And that's how I found out. Holy shit! And my heart just dropped. And I just sped over to the hospital, got over there, and there he was. He was laying there, and he's being treated. And it was about a what month, five, six weeks later that uh, Richard was killed. Uh, DE yeah. agent was killed, and uh, because Richard went to visit you at the hospital, yeah, and we we were there at the hospital to go visit him. And a month, maybe a little bit more than a month later, six weeks later, Richard was killed uh, in line of duty. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was tough yeah. times. Yeah, it was. He, he, uh, I got out of the hospital May 30th and he was killed June 30th. Uh, unfortunately, um, I was not allowed, I was not able to go to the funeral. I had, I had very little closure at the time. I, I was, I was still laid up, still pretty messed up. So, so that, that took a, that took a lot out of me. Richard and I grew up in the same, pretty much in the same neighborhood and, we were kids in Tucson, Arizona, going to the same grade school. Um, I don't remember him, but but we had a lot in common there with that situation, and uh, and it really hurt when well, it hurts when anybody gets gets murdered. But uh, for somebody that did the work that Robert and I did to die in that situation, that's that's our nightmare, and it, it really really affects us affects us deeply. And um, to, to talk about officers in general, and Robert made a point earlier when he said that we would take a bullet for each other. You know, I'll take it further. Uh, we would take a bullet for a total stranger out on the street. That's that's our mentality. You know, when the when the gunshots start going off, we're the ones that run toward the gunshots like idiots. 
not away from the gunshots like the firemen or whoever. Yeah. Um, that's the thing is we, we would literally take a bullet for somebody. Um, not just, not just our, ourselves. Uh, that's, I think that's the mentality that perhaps some of the public need to understand. Um, I don't know the motivation of officers, young officers these days, but I know how I felt and I know how, how, you know, Robert felt, you know, it's, uh, it's about taking an oath. And uh, that's, that's a very solemn thing to, to us people with our value, I guess. Well, I want to thank you uh, both for your service, man. You guys are, you guys are studs and patriots and, you know, always a pleasure having you guys on Fridays, man. Uh, so where can people follow you? Are you on social media finally, or are you still, uh, rejecting that, man? I'm not, I'm not rejecting it. I, um, I'll, I'll get something going, but again, yeah, they can follow me right here. They can, they can see me right here. They can, uh, it, they can follow me through Robert's social media and, uh, and, uh, maybe by next week I'll have a, a Twitter handle or something. Sounds good, man. Hey, Robert, where can they find you, brother? Right here. It says at Robert R. Arce, A-R-C-E. I'm on Twitter. They can find me there. And once we get our podcast going, um, I'm going to open up a Facebook page and uh, Instagram and everything else. But if somebody really needs to get a hold of Saul, call me, get a hold of me. I know his pager number. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. All right, guys. <laughs> we'll see you next weekend, man. Thanks All right. All right. See ya. All right. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.